You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. Revisiting the Nets game and going big picture on the season On today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. You can follow our show on Twitter and on Instagram at LockedOnPHXSuns, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Talking about some of my takeaways once again from the Nets game, a game that I think is giving Suns fans a lot to chew on, taught us a lot about this team, told us maybe what the forecast could look like in the future for what adjustments we might need to see and that I think we will see. Um, And we're also going to talk about a new way to think about DeAndre Ayton, courtesy of general manager James Jones. Gave an interview this week that I think put the sort of dichotomy about DeAndre Ayton as well as I've heard it put, which I guess you'd hope for from the general manager. And then we're going to also rank the most important games of the season because I think the Nets game to me has to be on the list, maybe at the top of that list, just in terms of some of, uh, again, those adjustments and and a, a game that I think will teach this team a lot about itself. Playing superstar players like James Harden has a way of doing that. And uh, I think that's one we will look back on. So that'll be the last segment. But right now, again, 128-124 loss. We all know that, right? We remember Listen to my recap episode from yesterday. It's been very endlessly chewed on. I think we got a whole lot of content out of it across the Suns universe. I know I am having a good time thinking about it. I did that whole podcast, and then I went and wrote a whole thing about it, and I'm talking to you about it again. But I just have a few things I wanted to circle back on because I'm not going to lie to you guys. (laughs) Doing that podcast for the first time in a while, I felt like I needed to uh, do a film session before I could go do the pod. So I think I did a good job. I was pretty proud of that recap. I think, you know, with with the big games, you want to have a good show. And I think it was a good show. I hope you guys agree. But um, there were a few things I wanted to kind of cross the T's and dot the I's on as far as getting more detailed and granular and and making sure we all know what happened. Um, And so what I thought about and what jumped out to me watching some of it is that James Harden, containing James Harden, was far from the only problem, right? Transition defense, to me, was just as big, if not a bigger issue. And this was one of the things that I was hesitant to bring up immediately when I was talking about the game post-game because I wasn't positive if that was correct. If it was actually transition and fast-break stuff or if I just remembered it going quickly, it was. Um, and another comment from Mikhail Bridges post game that jumped out to me that I hadn't remembered until I went back and listened was the mistakes that he made. And that's not something we're used to seeing, but if you listen to his post game comments and you watch some of that game again, I'm sure some of you who are smarter than me might just remember it without any of that, but the Suns gave up two big threes and even Monty Williams talked about them himself in that, uh, I think it was 
late in the third quarter. It might have been earlier in the fourth quarter. It was sort of a run that that lasted from about midway through the fourth when they went. They cut it to 20, and then they got it to 10 about midway through the fourth quarter. And so from midway through the third to midway through the fourth, that whole run. But this was a back-to-back set of possessions where that, that issue was particularly glaring. What happened was you had one where I think they were... Joe Harris screwed them up a lot, and so a lot of it came from that, even if it wasn't always him making the shot. So you had one where they they had lost Harris a couple times in transition, so they over sort of overcommit to uh, him, and they send two guys step toward the ball. I think it was Bridges and Crowder. Bridges ideally should have had Landry Shamit, who's on the left wing. The ball gets passed right to Shamit when Crowder and Bridges step toward the front of the top of the key, and the ball handler just gives it right to Shamit. Shamit makes a three. Next time down the floor, another transition opportunity. Uh, Shamit now has the ball, and maybe because he had just made the three, they overreact to him. And he passes it to Tyler Johnson in the corner, and I think that's what really cut it to a manageable distance and got them within uh, reach by the time Harden came in. Not helping on dribble penetration was a huge issue, including a dunk that DeAndre Jordan had in the fourth quarter. We remember the the plays in which Aiton just didn't sort of uh, did the bull in a matador dance, right? But we don't remember the ones where the Nets just straight up beat them, and they didn't. The Suns did not have the help that they needed in position to protect the basket, or to stop uh, penetration, or to just muck up the interior of the court. None of that happened. DeAndre Jordan gets that dunk. That's the biggest one I remember. Uh, and giving up threes in general, they just did not defend the three point line very well. Some of that again is sort of related to the transition defense, but to not help at the rim and give up so many threes is just a very Bad mix. I think that goes without saying. Another thing I saw here that I wanted to cover that I didn't get to last night. A lot of people online sort of being passive aggressive. I hate to call people that, but like, I don't know what else to describe it as about, you know, the idea that some fans or media are are afraid or worried or or skeptical about blaming Devin Booker for things. I don't really know where this has come from. Maybe it's happened before and I've missed it. Uh, it makes absolutely no sense. Um Devin Booker deserves blame if he makes mistakes in a game and they lose it, even if they don't lose it. If he doesn't play well or makes bad plays, I mean, how many times have we talked about the guy's defense? It's not as if this guy has just gotten a pass on everything he's ever done. I get it's reasonable to not want to criticize Booker with how much he's improved and everything that he's been through here, but they're going to be learning moments for him this season, and that one was one of them. Again, 0 of 2 from the field in the fourth quarter, you just can't have games like that. When James Harden is going off, when the Nets shooting is is turning the tide of the game, your best player needs to make a play. Devin Booker just wasn't able to do that. Well, I, I didn't even see anything necessarily in which you know the, the defense was selling out against him because they didn't even have much of a defense to do that. Yes, Bruce Brown made some plays here and there, but overall, I think you know maybe it's fatigue after so many huge games, huge minute loads, that win streak. Uh, maybe it was just that Chris Paul had it going and Booker wasn't sure how to get involved. I think we'll look back on it as a, an interesting inflection point. We'll see what he does on Friday and Saturday in this back-to-back. Another thing, give Monty Williams more credit. I think there's just this thing of he didn't adjust. And while I agree with that, I went into plenty of detail about why I don't think that's necessarily the biggest problem or the biggest uh, need coming out of last night's game or within last night's game. 
I don't think there was a great option to go super small. We all know who the players would have been, but we've never seen it before. As I wrote in my story at Bright Side of the Sun today about the second half and what fell apart, the uh, ideal, I guess, so to speak, small lineup of Paul Booker, Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Jay Crowder, that lineup has played zero minutes this season. Zero minutes. So going to that would have been just as risky of as anything else. So I don't think that that's where we are, but I think the, the reason Monty Williams deserves credit is he did change, right? He changed. He changed the starting lineup. We saw Frank Kaminsky in there for six games, all wins, and Monty saw how small Brooklyn was going to go, how small they've been playing. Even with DeAndre Jordan active, they were playing even smaller prior to that, but even with DeAndre Jordan in the game, I think Monty correctly identified that this was going to be a smaller game, and it was. So that's a positive. He did the right thing before the game even started. He knew he needed to make an adjustment. He also played Abdul Nader. I think that's important to consider. They played a wing who hadn't been getting minutes because they knew this game was going to call for it. Now, maybe Nader could have played more. I don't know. I guess you could say something like that, but um, Monty did dust him off because it was a game in which his skill set was needed. When Mikhail Bridges wasn't in the game, it was actually Nader who was doing the majority of the defense on Harden. So that's another good adjustment. Monty can't conjure a Lou Dort, Drew Holiday, strong guard defender for this team to have. It seems like that's what we want here, right? That's what Suns fans seem to want here. That's not possible from Monty Williams. He doesn't just get to conjure up a player like that because the Suns don't have one. And I think that's a revealing point of what we saw. It's just maybe they need a player like that. Maybe that's a target in the trade or uh, buyout market for them. I'm not sure if if they can get one. Obviously, guys who can do that and actually survive on the court in the playoffs are some of the more valuable guys in the NBA. So I'm not expecting them to get a player like that, but you know, maybe an innings eater sort of guy. David Nwaba, I saw somebody suggest on Twitter to me. Sure, you know, a player like that if, if they're gettable, that could be a, a way to make games like this a little easier to stomach. But in the end, we just need to see the Suns adjust. There's a lot of things. I went through half an hour of them yesterday. I just gave you plenty more there. We just need to see the Suns adjust. Memphis, Portland, you know, those will be good. Preventing dribble penetration. Can they help more? Can they uh, prevent guards like this from beating them again? You know, John Morant and Dame Lillard would be a a good test, a good example of that. But in the end, we really just need to see the next time they play a small team, the next time they play the Nets, uh, can they do better? And I think they can. I think this was a shell shock game. It's such an unusual style that that James Harden brings to his teams, and especially with guys out, how small the Nets needed to play. All that stuff is explainable, right? We're not going to hold it against them necessarily and uh, make it too big of a deal, but I do think uh, there that we need to see it get better the next time in order for Uh, you know, in order for it not to become a lingering issue. A new way to think about DeAndre Ayton in just a moment. But first, Michelob Ultra, courtesy of the delicious 2.6 carb, 95 calorie beer that is the perfect partner for basketball. Our Ultra Player of the Week here on the podcast. I I have to give it to Devin Booker. Devin Booker creates joy in my heart when I watch him, especially lately. How could it not? This guy is 
fulfilling so many years of questions about if he could do this at the high level, if he could do it for a playoff team, if he could do it as a number one option. He's checking yes, 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 yes to all of those boxes. It makes me uh, pretty happy to finally see it. And we all know that joy creates success, right? I think you can see that what we're getting from Devin Booker right now is the fulfillment on his own part. We've all been wanting to see it because I think we know that it matters a lot to him. He didn't leave. He didn't just demand a trade. He didn't do all that stuff. And he's here enjoying himself. And that is breeding success for this team. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. And Devin Booker is proving that you win because you're happy, right? And uh, it's that circular thing where uh, this team is really rounding into form. They're playing having fun and doing it together. That's exactly what James Jones said in his interview this week on 98.7, which we will get into next. Wanted to play you the clip of James Jones' interview on Doug and Wolf this week as part of 98.7, their um, Changemakers Week and, or Newsmakers Week, sorry. And I wanted to discuss Aiton specifically, but as I said in that Michelob Ultra spot, we heard him talk about the the joy that this team is playing with. They're having fun while they're winning, and that's been one of his takeaways. I think we've all seen that as well, but uh, it, it lends itself to his analysis of DeAndre Ayton as well, which is that there's a distinction between the emotional and the physical when it comes to Aiton, and that's what James Jones told us, and I wanted you to take a listen right here. What have you seen from D.A. over the last 10 games? Emotionally, he's been good. You know, he's had some ups and downs physically, uh, but emotionally he's been able to snap right back and get into plays. You know, after he has a a tough possession, you know, or maybe a bad possession, I think there was one where he shot a three last week, um, just wasn't the right place in time. And he knew immediately that he had to make it up on the other end. And so um, he's, he's been good in that regard, like being able to bounce back from the challenges because we need him. I think, you know, and everyone knows when DeAndre's playing at a high level, we're a special team and, uh, you know, day in and day out, he's coming into the arena trying to be a better, uh, a better player. And it's, it's helped us. Okay. So I think that's a very unique and good and interesting way to think about DeAndre Ayton. And it, it kind of answers a lot of the questions or it, provides a template for us to think about him in a more intelligent way. I think we just like to yell at each other about DeAndre Ayton more than we like to break him down. And I think, honestly, it's because it's a lot easier to yell at each other because this guy is very difficult to analyze. But think about the emotional, the emotional stuff. And and Jones, to to his credit, I think he's right, said that he's seen positives on almost every night lately in the emotional regard but think about these parts does he get discouraged you know does he stay engaged in games there were a lot of nights where that was a no um even against i remember games against you know not great teams willie collie stein i think when he still played for the kings had a night against Aiton at one point i think you know we saw nikola vucevic get him a couple times early in his career we've we've seen Jokic until this year have his way with Aiton almost every single time they've played. So there were some very frustrating ones that were no's, but I think a lot more yeses lately. Does he commit to the game plan and do his job even if he's not involved? 
I think with Aiton, uh, there are a lot of thankless nights this season. Already, we've seen a ton. We've seen a lot of 16 and 12s. Stats that aren't going to jump off the page. No fan is going to look at the box score and, and be impressed with what Aiton did. You know, he's not having highlight-worthy plays where he gets, you know, six lobs in a row and it changes the course of a game and he's getting on Bleacher Report and all that. It's not happening. But does he commit? Does he stay involved? Yeah, I think most nights he has. Like, think about the Denver losses. Uh, they lost those games. They were heartbreakers. And he's playing Nikola Jokic, who goes off for like a 50-point double-double. Um, and then like a 30-point double-double right after that, back-to-back nights. And Aiton was engaged the whole time, gave Jokic a ton to work with. Aiton's even in foul trouble and still is engaged, is doing his job, is committing. Um, the New Orleans game, we see him, they're down like 20 points, and he still defends like hell against DeAndre, or against uh, Zion Williamson in the fourth quarter. A very late adjustment by the coaching staff, and Aiton still buckles down and shows us how uh, good he's been. So... Uh, the win over Cleveland, another one, yes. Uh, but then there's been some other ones, like the loss to Washington. I think he had single-digit points, took only five shot attempts, and in a, in a game they lost was not a factor as much as he needed to be a very small Wizards team. Uh, the loss to Sacramento very early on. He was very frustrated, I think, that the offense was stalling because of his inability to score the ball and the Suns sort of forcing it to him and, and making everyone uncomfortable. The whole team, I think, responded in a bad way emotionally there. So that's a big no, right? Physically, to, to pivot to James's other point, uh, these are the questions that I, I kind of look for. Does he play hard? Does he use his body? Does he make the most of the physical advantages that he has against the guys he's matching up on? And yeah, that goes together with emotional, right? They're, they're partners. They, they, they impact one another. If you're downtrodden, then you're not going to probably be able to give your all physically. That's pretty much true of anybody. Um, and if you're not giving your all physically, you're probably not going to jump off the screen as a guy who is, uh, engaged at his fullest extent, psychologically and emotionally. But when you think physically, I think we've seen a lot of them lately, like defending Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's a huge physical commitment to the game. Um, you know, there's been games, I would say that the back-to-back against Denver and Utah that the Suns took both of were great examples. The Indiana game where Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis, that, that Pacers team was at the very peak of their powers back then, and Aiton took it to them. I mean, at least didn't allow them to win. The Suns won that game handily. So those are all yeses, but uh, what what this brings me to is that physically was the issue against the Nets. In the, in the loss to the Nets last night, Aiton was not physically engaged. And, um, you know, maybe not in, engaged isn't even the right word, um, but I think he wasn't impacting the game with his full physical set of tools. And on the other hand, he was engaged emotionally. Like, think about how impressive it is it's it's not going to not going to change the outcome and you're not hearing me give them an excuse for losing to the nets but the idea that after getting blown by over and over and over and everyone online is already pulling up the DeAndre and lost them this game line and still on the game winning three that Harden hits we saw Aiton in his face, contesting the shot as well as possible, 
And yes, Harden made it. Great. Results uh, not over-processed in this point. The contest was perfect. They got He got in his face. Aiton was right there. And Harden just made it over him. So it was an emotionally still engaging game by Aiton. But we saw physically. He's deliberate. He's overthinking on offense. He was very, very intentionally avoiding contact on defense, which I would even say maybe is a fault of the coaching staff. You could just see it where it was almost like Aiton was putting on a show of not fouling, which is always a dangerous place to get in because you're bound to not play hard defense if that's your focus. Even just mentally, forget what he was doing, lifting his hands up, you know, sort of doing all that. Um, You're not going to play physical defense the way you need to if that's your focus or your priority in the moment. And so it's easy to always say that the issue with Aiton is that he disengages, doesn't have fight, you know, doesn't, why doesn't he dunk all the time? I've heard that I don't even know how many times dating back to when we were evaluating this guy coming out of Arizona, but that doesn't always describe what's going wrong. We need to be careful how we talk about this guy and we don't need to project onto him why we think it's going wrong or, you know, um, why it fits into this broader story we want to tell ourselves about DeAndre Ayton. James Jones knows this guy better than anybody. He said, split it between emotional and physical and that'll tell you the story. And I think against the Nets, it certainly did and tells us a lot about what happened in that game. He was right there emotionally, physically. He just couldn't get it done. And it's going to, again, be a matter of if he can adjust. A quick break to tell you about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Sure, Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Baseball, before I'm even done with this ad, I feel like, will be back. It's not too far away at all. We're finally seeing players sign, which is a good a good, uh, a good, good sign for us. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. So basically, there's real-time, updated odds and props on just about anything your heart desires. Bet Online has you covered for everything. New scores, odds, props, as I said. But best of all, it is the best way to place a bet, but it's also free to sign up. So head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to download their app. Sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Auto.com, the prices there are the same for everybody and reliably low. They do not require a login. They've been doing this for years as a family business, and they have everything you might want. Engine control modules and brake parts to something smaller like motor oil or even new carpet for the floor. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, Rock Auto has everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, again, prices at rockauto.com. Reliably low. The same for pros as for do-it-yourselfers, so why why? Why spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts that you would find at a chain store? Same parts, cheaper prices. Go to rockauto.com right now. Check it all out. See what they have for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how did you hear about us box when you buy your part so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the car parts you will ever need. Rockauto.com. Closing out the show, ranking the most important games of the season. But first, I want to remind you guys to check out Locked On Fantasy Basketball. When you need fantasy basketball advice, it's important that you have a reliable source. More people trust Josh Lloyd, the host of our 
most popular show, honestly, far and away, Locked On Fantasy Basketball than any other fantasy basketball podcast out there. Subscribe to the number one show in fantasy basketball, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, wherever you get podcasts. Okay, let's, again, rank those games. Rank the most important games of the season. Here are the contenders. The Kings, we had a... Let me get the final exact score. 106-103 loss. That was the second game of the season, if you guys remember. I'm sure you do. It was a weird one. It was a clunker. It was very... It was the first uh, epic Suns Twitter meltdown, I guess you could say. Um, and it was the sign of things to come for the offense. They really collapsed offensively, but they learned from it. They beat the Kings the very next night. And from there, the offense started to click. Um, not necessarily everyone all the time until recently, but as a whole, the unit got better. The Pistons game, which was a loss, of course. Everyone remembers OT, 105 to 110. The Suns lose on the first game of a five-game road trip that really did not treat them very well. They had three losses in it. Um, but the Pistons game specifically, I feel like showed us that again, similar to the Nets game, don't try to get cute with lineups. Don't go big or too small when you're not used to it. And don't take Jeremy Grant seriously. I mean, or, or they didn't take Jeremy Grant seriously. They needed to, and they didn't. And, um, it was a thing that sort of plagued the Suns for a couple of seasons now, which is treating hot scorers like they should be treated and, um, really keying into them defensively. The Suns just didn't do that. Um, but they haven't really had an embarrassment like that since that week. Yes, they also lost to the Wizards on that road trip. But after those couple of bad ones, they really haven't had a disappointing, embarrassing loss like that. So a little bit of a turning point there. I would say the other one would be the Thunder. The loss to Oklahoma City at home. You'll remember Al Horford went off and then Teo Maladon, the rookie point guard, hit the game-winning layup with really no resistance getting to the basket and that was the one that started the big story of not taking the opponent for granted, having respect for the game, um, not sort of getting getting too high was the problem there. I think the Suns are good about not getting too low, but that was definitely an, in, an instance where they they just got cocky, I think. And it was, oh, that's the Thunder. We're up at halftime. Well, this one's in the bag. And it wasn't, and they lost. But what that, that one did is spurred this entire win streak. That was the last time before the Nets game that the Suns uh, lost. They did lose to New Orleans in there as well, but they won three straight after that Oklahoma City game, lost that weird one to, to New Orleans, and then won six straight. So it's been uh, sort of the turning point, I would say, and when things really got off to the races. I mean, the, the Warriors, they beat the Warriors by 21 the very next night on national TV. That was really a coming out party for them. So I think that Thunder game is definitely a contender. And then, of course, the Nets game, this one that no one can stop talking about that I'm now doing a second podcast on for good reason. We saw the starting lineup change back to Crowder in there, the original starting five that they began the season with. We learned some things about how the Suns are going to need to play against more small and versatile teams, right? They they exposed some weaknesses as a team that I've gotten into. And then also, I think we saw the game sort of test the limits of these two star guards that the Suns have. Like, I think they should have won that game. And so just playing against James Harden and Tyler Johnson, I'm not saying that they, you know, were worse than those guys or that the Suns stars can't get it done or any of that stuff. But what I think it showed us is 
in some ways the the feeling out process is still going on where Paul was really hot in the fourth quarter and then Booker didn't really score well. Um, I think there was some defensive stuff that continues to be just a challenge where if Mikhail is having to defend James Harden, it's it's just a constant sort of mismatch and and tinkering puzzle of, of how to play the defense the right way to your advantage. So we're just seeing some of that stuff still get felt out. And so I think this Nets game is going to be one we look at. And as I keep saying, how they adjust after it will tell us a lot. So I think those are the contenders. Um, maybe I'm missing one, but I feel like those are the four. So Kings, Pistons, Thunder, Nets. I'm going to go with the Thunder game first. That's the most important game of the season so far because I think it really opened the team's eyes to not playing down to the level of their competition, not taking things for granted. And just, I think it was the point in the year where they were like, we just got to stop screwing around. You know, it's almost a month in at that point. And, you know, they're without Booker in that game. And I think they're realizing like, we can't hover around 500 and expect to get what we want to get done, done. Like they... I think really turned their mentality around and they were just on a roll after that. You know, we saw them beat the Mavericks. We saw them beat, you know, the Celtics, the Bucks, the 76ers, play the Nets close, beat the hot Cavs, like all that stuff, because I think they were like, no, we can't play games like that anymore. So that one will be first to me. I'm actually going to put this Nets game second, to be honest. I think we don't know it yet, but I really feel like it's going to be one that we look back on as something that the team looks different in sm- in subtle ways, but that they will remember and that they will adjust as a result of, um, you know, I, I would hope they'd play better transition defense. I think Booker and Paul will, will remember this one. I think we'll see this starting lineup stay intact. And I think the next time again, that the Suns play a really small team, we'll see them be more prepared for it. The Kings game is going to be third for me. I think in, in a lot of ways, you can excuse that one away. Like they were so early in the season, just the second game. And so to not have the offense fully clicking yet and to be trying some things that didn't work and not adjusting out of it really readily enough, all that stuff, like it lost them a game. I'm sure they'd love to be 17 and uh, nine, right? Or 18 and nine right now rather than 17 and 10. But I don't think I'm going to put too much of a sort of black mark on that one because it was just so early. Pistons will be the last one because I actually kind of feel like maybe it's just been too long and I don't remember the game as well as I could, but it to me feels a lot like they just lost that one straight up. Uh, I feel like Jeremy Grant went off, Mason Plumley was having his way, even Blake Griffin was doing a little bit, and we saw them, you know, I remember Sadiq Bey hitting some threes. Like, I don't think that game was stolen from their grasp. I feel like Detroit just caught them off guard, and that's you know, it taught them some things, I think, like I said, about not getting cued and not playing so big just because it's the freaking Pistons um, and, and being a little smarter about the lineups and stuff. But I think I think that Detroit just beat them pretty fairly. And we've seen Detroit do that to a lot of contenders lately. So that one was interesting and intriguing and important for the season, but I don't think quite on the level of the other one. So hopefully, hopefully we, we start to add some, you know, they blew out an incredible team and, and that was you know, on the list. So we have three losses. Actually, all four of these are losses. Man, I shouldn't have done that. I think the Bucks game would be my win, but I think I would still put it fifth. I mean, you just learn more in losses, I think. Like, it's not really important necessarily. To, it doesn't tell you things about yourself 
to execute at a high level and win, at least in my opinion. So I guess it is all losses and it's not to be a negative because a lot of the losses led to the win, the win streaks that they went on and the, the more successful parts of the season. So I feel like those are useful ways to maybe better understand the, the successes that the Suns have had. So those are my four. I have, uh, I have Thunder, Nets, Kings, Pistons. That's my ranking. And then I would probably have the Bucks rounding out the top five if I had to, just to throw a win in there, be a little more positive. But um, a lot to chew on with this team, guys. I appreciate how much support there's been for the show lately. I can feel that Suns fans are excited. We will be back tomorrow. I'm hoping with Sam Cooper of the Timeline, trying to get that locked in with him. I want to preview this road trip and the Western Conference games that are going to finish up the Suns first half schedule here. So I want to really do a deep dive on those games, why they're important, how the matchups will shape up, and just generally what we're looking at. So check your feeds for that first thing on Friday morning, heading into a Friday, Saturday back-to-back for the Suns. But until then, enjoy your Thursday.